This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You guys have bonfire night in America. Bonfire night? Yeah, like Guy Fawkes night. Uh-uh, what is that? So that's actually today. So we're speaking November 5th. So it's in the UK. Everyone kind of goes out and sets off fireworks and everything. Oh, damn. And uh, have like massive, you know, like kind of bonfires. That sounds awesome. It's pretty good. Although it's all, you know, shut down this year because of COVID. But there's still, just in case we hear any fireworks kind of going off in this podcast in the background. Uh, cool. Then you might get some bird sounds from our end. Where about are you guys? Are you out in the garden? Yeah, we're out uh, in my backyard in Fairfield. Sunny Fairfield, California. So is that, is it San Francisco you are? Is that like a suburb? Or? I'm actually living with my folks right now. It's like an hour away from San Francisco. So when did you guys move to San Francisco originally? I moved out there right after I graduated high school in 2009. And I lived there for like eight years. Adam Adam moved out there like three years after I lived there for two years. And we like kind of started the band around then, or I joined the band. And then we uh, all ended up moving in together and lived Lived in SF for like five years together in the same house. What kind of an impact did that have on your creativity? It was like hyper productive and then also like <laughs> kind of uh, tiresome after a while. Hard to live together. Yeah, I think at first it was super uh, ideal. It was just kind of a magical, it was like a musical summer camp or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think after a while, for different reasons, we kind of felt a bit like overwhelmed because I think it's kind of easy to only feel like you can do band stuff with each other rather than just like be homies and hang out. So that was something that was interesting. But yeah, now we're kind of far enough apart where we can see each other uh, whenever we want. Also, I'd be, I would totally do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does sound kind of cool. Maybe in New York. 
I mean, we basically live together when we're on tour, like sharing these tiny spaces for six weeks at a time. Did the songwriting change after you, you moved out? Did you notice a kind of shift in, in the way you were working and what you were kind of producing? It was kind of a gradual shift, I would say. Like we were working on songs like hyper productive when we moved in together and then gradually kind of shifted to more individual. These days we just demo songs out on our laptops individually and then sometimes we'll get together and like work on stuff but most of the work is individual because you guys you've always been self-produced as well haven't you yeah yeah what stuff was written when you were living together in that house in terms of the stuff we know that's been you know released what stuff was produced during that period well basically neapolitan was like the big first project we released after moving in together and soaked so it's our first two records yeah soaked was the other one and then we did Mood Ring. That was pretty much the record we did once we were living separately, kind of doing more like writing songs on our own and then bringing them to the table. I mean, when, when we think back to that first record and, and when it arrived, it kind of, it feels completely fully formed. You know, it strikes that balance of being very cohesive, but also each song is, you know, very individual and distinct and there's, there's a freshness and an excitement about it. Was that a band right at the beginning of the kind of musical expression and it just happened to form like that organically? Or had there been a lot of development prior to the record? Uh, I mean, it was kind of an organic thing. Like, we we had played together um, a decent amount, and we'd made, like, one EP. But that record kind of happened really naturally. We had all these songs we'd kind of written together, and then we went into a studio and just recorded it all in a week or something which seems pretty crazy because now we spend like months on just one song. <laughs> that was also back when Nick was writing a lot of the skeletons of the songs. Like it would, Nick, who's drumming for us now, he's one of the founding members. He used to write a lot of uh, like lines on guitar that we would build songs around. One of us would like take whatever kind of grabbed our attention and sort of realize the song. Because Nick, Nick was like just starting to experiment uh, playing guitar because he's, Classically, he's been a drummer, so he had all these ideas, but he 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 didn't really have experience like completing the package or whatever. So we would kind of like all collab on his skeletons. That's kind of like the format for that first record. It's interesting to think about because you could think of it in terms of that's maybe where the spark, you know, the kind of excitement and the energy comes from. And then the rest of you kind of take that and you blow it out into this this full song. I mean, there, there is you know such a charisma and a vibrant energy about that record and it does have that spontaneous edge to it was part of that like the youthful energy and the kind of just getting into the band or, or where do you think that was kind of coming from that youthful energy and that excitement about it we had a lot of like excitement just to make music there's definitely like an innocence to that record we weren't like trying that hard to like make like a pop hit or something we were just like goofing around it kind of shows in the music i feel like yeah i feel like some of those songs definitely just came together really well naturally because they weren't overthought and then certain songs on that record is really funny for me to look back on because I feel like it definitely just shows where we were at as songwriters to a degree for better or worse but yeah it's a it's a very uh I like that like innocent record I suppose (laughs) yeah there's a a kind of purity to it you know you're singing about like love and hanging out with your friends and there's that sort of you know, summary carefree type thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Is that what your life was like at that point when you were writing the record? Was that a reflection of where you were at 
in terms of uh, even outside music and what you were doing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember a lot of those times we would go to this town on the coast called Santa Cruz where a bunch of our friends lived. And it was like this idyllic, summery, like beach town. And every time we'd go there, we would just have like these really, I don't know, it's like idealistic, like everyone's in these houses with all their best friends and the weather is great and we'd play like house shows and stuff my heart would ache to go back there and like feel like i was falling in love like every time or something so yeah i mean i think i think that time in our life we were those lyrics were pretty honest for like what we were going through you think yeah yeah we had big dreams to like be in the band and like go on tour and stuff too. The magic of like pursuing a life of art was really alive. And you know, it was those were the years we were doing our first tour, like renting a U-Haul to like drive around the country. And you know, I was like checking off items on my like bucket list. That was probably even before we did any tours, wasn't it? Neapolitan. Well, yeah, but like we toured. We did our first tour from that record and stuff. Yeah. What sort of stuff was on your bucket list? Oh, just like going on like a, a tour as a band. and That was like a dream of mine ever since I was in high school, like playing in garage bands and stuff. What sort of stuff is left on the bucket list? What sort of things are you still kind of looking to achieve and, you know, keep you kind of hungry and powering forth? I still want to do the world tour, like tour Asia and Australia and South America. Yeah, that sounds, I feel like that's like the biggest one right now is just go go to places we haven't been yeah, just keep doing what we're doing to a larger degree. Yeah, and I always want to, like, keep making more, like, I always want to be making, like, the best, my favorite album I've ever made. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's a journey that continues. I feel like I'm excited about our new record because it's kind of, like, blending the sounds of our, the kind of Neapolitan sound that we've become associated with mixed with the uh, kind of more bedroom sound of Mood Ring. So that grudge is taken from that record, right? Yeah, Grudge is the first song we've released from that one. Yeah, that's what I was. I mean, that was what I was going to pick up on about that. Is it feels like a collation of everything you've done before? It feels like you've kind of taken everything and put it in together and mixed it up, and then it comes out as this completely new thing. Yeah, I think a bit of that was like writing that song came from a bit of like just we were playing all these shows and going on tours like almost nonstop last year. And it just felt like playing that song live would be so fun. Yeah, it kind of, in a way, was like reminiscing of when we were more of a garage band and playing shows was a really crazy experience and people would be like dancing on stage. And yeah, it was more like free and wild. And I mean, I love making like low key and chill music uh, too, but it's definitely a different experience when you're performing it everyone's kind of just in their zone and grooving, you know? But yeah, I think our new record's going to have a lot of different sounds, a lot of, I mean, cer- certain bits that you could say sound like our earlier stuff, but it's definitely a new a new sound, something all together new, like you were saying, too. Yeah, in my mind, it's kind of marrying the worlds that we've taken from in the past. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Was that quite a conscious idea? That idea of kind of taking, you know, marrying those worlds that you'd had in the past, was that something you thought could be quite interesting or was it something that more just happened organically? It's it's kind of just like what's caught our, like, our attention for, like, what seems like the most fun way to write this album, like the truest way to write this album. 
yeah also also kind of came from our idea originally back back like when we were making mood ring we were kind of in a transitional place and we had this like idea for a musical project that was like kind of like guitar like jangly guitar but mixed with like more modern production and stuff part of our like vision was kind of based on that i think the mood ring as well you kind of I know you were speaking about the idea of slightly more bedroom production with it. You capture the intimacy of that, but then you kind of work it into these guitar-driven, you know, like garage rock songs that kind of have that power about them. And it's, again, kind of marrying two worlds together. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's something that we always try to kind of bring into our songs is that kind of analog, sort of like grounded band feel to our tracks. They're definitely songs like written for a band. So was any was any of that done in the studio? Or was that all kind of done at home? There's a little bit of both. I mean, the majority was done at home, but um, like for on Mood Ring, we did the, a decent amount of drum recordings in a studio. Some of the drums were all sampled, but we still would record them being like played and then either decide we were going to sample it or just use bits and pieces of the performance recording. But that's typically, yeah, typically our approach is we'll do as much as we can at home. And then if we think something can get better from a studio recording, we'll take it into the studio. Yeah, almost just like adding the finishing touches. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned samples as well, because I wanted to pick up on grapes, because that's kind of got that audio, that almost like conversation sample throughout it. Yeah. What is that audio sample? It's, uh, it's from Grapes of Wrath, which is why we call it Grapes. Yeah, I forget how we even came up on that. It was because uh, in Glow Ride, the chorus says, wherever you go, I'll be there. And it reminded me of that quote from Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah. uh, this famous monologue from that movie where he's just saying, like, he'll be there in all these places. So I sent it to Adam as a joke, and he ended up, like, running with it and making this whole kind of dark, like, soundscape with it. It actually somehow perfectly fit onto a grid where, I mean, it wasn't, like, in four, but I could put a metronome to it and then i was kind of writing like the chord hits around when he was saying certain statements it was fun it was kind of like scoring a movie or something had you ever done anything like that before i don't think so exactly i, I mean know. we've we've made like so many weird beats and like samples and stuff just on ableton like messing around over the years but i think mood ring was the first time we were like incorporating some of those more like avant-garde tracks just as like an album piece you know i guess we did yeah. i guess we did with the soaked intro too i think with both of those tracks both the soaked intro and grapes and that one they really kind of contribute to the flow of the overall piece like when you listen to it as a full body of work yeah it's nice to have yeah, like vignettes, vignette. yeah. <laughs> little vignettes you know tastes of like vibe flavors you just toss in yeah as a listener i really love like being able to put a record on and have it be a whole listening experience rather than just having like a couple good songs and some filler I think we strive to make like a really listenable album. Yeah, for sure. One that's kind of got, I mean, again, it comes back to the first record where a lot of the songs stand on their own, but when they come together as a whole, they kind of form almost a bigger picture. Like they sit really nicely alongside each other and they're all taking place in that same soundscape, but they're all very distinct in their own right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the ideal to just make the songs what they should individually be rather than trying to make each song like, a banger each song this you know like i feel like each song kind of dictates what it should be and then you just have to let it let it grow up 
I think part of the process is intentional and then part of it just kind of happens naturally, like how the sound of an album coalesces. Yeah, you used to try and trust in your subconscious to kind of fill it in and kind of mold it together. Yeah. Head in the Clouds is a really interesting song on that murdering EP we were just speaking about because it feels like something that's reflecting and there, there are parts of it that almost feel like it's, you know, wanting to return to more simple time, you know, lyrically with what it's speaking about. Like the period we were speaking about earlier when the first record was formed, for most people, when their early 20s are over, they're kind of over and, and things are very different by the time they're at the end of that decade. But can being in a band, you know, preserve any of that youthful lifestyle in any way? Can it allow you to kind of keep a hold of that that point in your life? Yeah, I mean, totally. I think it's something we all think about a lot. We were probably, what, like 27, 28 when we were working on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely being like in our late 20s is it makes you think about when you're in your early 20s in like this very fond way. But that's something that songwriting does do is kind of keep you youthful because it's really all about like how you look at the world and perceive it. And if you look at the world as like worn down place that's beating you up every day, you're going to come off as like an old kind of jaded person. But if you can find a way to wake up and look at things in a new light and like find creativity it's it definitely helps helps you feel youthful yeah it's like preserving a sense of wonder in your life i feel like kind of the journey that's the journey of a lot of artists is like staying in touch with your sense of wonder do you remember the first time that music sparked a sense of wonder in you i think the first time was probably like when my my friend's brother showed me like jimmy eat world or something like that before i wasn't really into music and then i heard that and for some reason you know jimmy Eat world just changed my world <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah for me it was like i feel like my parents were like putting me on music even as like a little kid i remember i was just super into the beatles and like symphony and c by cake <laughs> it was like my favorite songs when i was a, a kid i was like so captivated by this idea of like the Beatles like this band who are like witty dudes who write like all these love songs and stuff I think that's where my like band dream came from originally I think the thing about those records as well is that you get a sense of it being a band it doesn't some bands you know that'll feel like it, it could easily just as well be a solo performer whereas the Beatles there is that kind of sense of collective about it yeah that's definitely where we got a lot of inspiration for our first two records was kind of that band community where each person plays a vital role like either singing or doing harmonies or being a lead guitarist was something we all kind of strove to be one of those persons in every song you know even if you didn't write the song it was like all right you're the one doing backups and you're doing lead guitar yeah i mean i think in a certain sense we still like draw from that place because we all we still don't have like a front man we all just like write and like work together that was something that i always wanted to do like from that same place like have a band that's not just about one guy but about like all these like best friends essentially that allows it to keep feeling fresh as well because you've you've got three different perspectives coming at it from a lyrical angle as opposed to just the one yeah grudge we were speaking about that a little bit i don't want to come back to it because it's a really fascinating song in terms of the the context of what it's about lyrically because i was reading about how you were saying it's about i mean you get it from the song as well creating your own narratives and and how corrosive that can be in that kind of moment of realizing that in your head is it ever easier to be vulnerable in music in that way than everyday life because like coming to that realization particularly if you've made some bad decisions as a result of that slightly false mindset can be can be tough 
Yeah, totally. I think it's something that definitely relates to life and music. And it's something that, you know, it's like if I write a song and I've created like a false narrative about this song in my head, then when I put it out, you're like exposing yourself to what everyone's going to think about it, you know? So it's like I could be putting out a song that's amazing in my mind and then someone's like, this is the worst shit I've ever heard, you know? <laughs> that's meta talking about the subject of the song, but putting out the song, yeah, wait, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too confusing. But to go back to what you were saying, kind of, yeah, I think that's a big part of life, definitely. Everyone's kind of creating their own narratives in their head. But I think it's super important to just be able to kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture. Another part of staying young. Have you ever written a song about, you know, like a certain experience and then put it out and then, you know, several months, maybe later or even years later, have kind of realized that it was written from a point of view that had that slightly skewed mindset that that song is kind of talking about coming to the realization that you had? Uh, you mean You mean kind of like looking at the song and being like, maybe not aligning with what it's saying anymore or something. Yeah, it's like your mindset shifts and then you look back on who you were as that person when you wrote that song and the kind of the perspective that you were coming at that experience from and you realize, oh no, I was completely wrong about that. I think that kind of happens a lot with like my songs I write. Like I think every song is sort of like a time and place. Inevitably you change as an artist. It's interesting being an artist and then touring these songs that are very much a snapshot of a certain time in your life your fans kind of discover them like people are hearing our first album like for the first time this year you know but for us it's like time stamps of 2015 it's interesting that it's like yeah just living as an artist you're like reviving these like old stories like over and over again almost like storytelling when you're playing a live show has your perspective and how you feel about 2015 in that period in your life when you wrote the song shifted with time yeah i mean i think inevitably your perspective shifts like as you get older you're talking about like being in your early 20s versus late 20s there's definitely like change that's gonna happen in everyone's life yeah, I think personally, I feel like I'm always growing, you know, and yeah, I think change is inevitable. I feel like as an artist, I really enjoy the liberty to pursue what inspires me and like continue to change, you know. I think the, the, the path of like being aware of narratives is lifelong, you know, that's kind of like a universal like struggle to work through your issues and keep growing through your life. What surprised you most about your 20s and the kind of years that followed the album maybe uh, i know we were speaking about the kind of innocence of that record earlier on did the years that followed it kind of did they differ quite a lot to what you expected from them in terms of just life in general i mean not really i think it's been like a very gradual process of our band kind of growing and like touring and stuff no things really felt like it was something that we were not prepared for something like unexpected Playing, playing like national tours and like festivals and stuff was definitely like a dream of mine. So I would have been like very excited <laughs> to know that it was all coming. Yeah, I feel blessed that we've had all the opportunities we've had. I wasn't necessarily expecting to be playing like Outside Lands or Tropicalia when I was like writing those songs in our house in San Francisco. Even if your dreams are like coming true, it's not like you expect it to be exactly touring is a lot different than I thought it was when I was a teenager you know in what way oh you know I mean just some of the glamour of it is like it's really rewarding but it's also very tiring and like there's a lot of traveling it's like touring is like mostly sitting in a van (laughs) 
especially at our kind of like modest level of touring. I feel like when you guys are touring the States a lot as well, it's a lot different. Like if a band does a UK tour, you're maybe driving for like two or three hours every night. Whereas in the States, it tends to be you're driving all night. Yeah, we've definitely done a, a number of tours out here where, yeah, driving is the main thing you're doing. <laughs> like huge drives every day. Can you write on the road? Do you ever do that or is it more just collecting experiences? Yeah, we've done that a bit. We've been actually, we did that a lot more on our last tour when we were in Europe because we had a little bit of time in between two of our tour runs we were doing. So we stayed at a couple different Airbnbs and got into some cool recording flows, which I think I'd be down to keep doing more on the road. It's kind of an exciting like way to feel, I don't know, it like keeps it fresh or something, you know? Well, yeah, I feel like when you're out there kind of having raw experiences, it's typically I'm more inspired to sit down and write a good song too. I actually recorded some of Sky So Blue when we were on tour in the US too. The vocals, I remember recording the final vocals in our van in Phoenix, <laughs> 100 degrees outside. I was sitting in this van recording the vocals. <laughs> How does that environment bleed into it? It was interesting. I feel like that was like a time crunch situation. Like I was trying to finish it. We're trying to keep our singles coming out. And for me, I feel like I always have this grandiose vision and like it takes me forever to kind of go through and like flesh everything out. Yeah, it was, uh, I was doing some of that like while we were on the road, like in any spare time we had, like when people were going out to hang out with friends and stuff, I would like stay behind and work on the recording. And I don't know, it was kind of fun, but it was also very like busy, that particular situation. <laughs> what about where, you said you stopped off in a few Airbnbs when you were touring Europe as well and worked on some stuff. What, what cities was that in? We were in Berlin and London. Mainly, yeah. It was mainly when we had time to like work on songs and relax. Did you pick those cities quite specifically? I mean, both of them have got quite an energy about them in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to spend some time in Berlin. Just... London too, yeah. We have yeah. some friends out there. Yeah, both cities we wanted to check out. So we, we had like two weeks off in between our tours. So we spent like a week in Ber Berlin and a week in London or something. Yeah, it was super cool. I mean, we started out like wanting to be out and like partying and stuff. And then we kind of just got into the recording zone and kept it more low key. Were those songs, were those songs from Moodring or are they featuring on the new record you've got coming, upcoming? Oh uh, yeah, it's new stuff. Were you able to tap into the energies of those cities and kind of feed off of it? Or what was it about recording in those places that, that kind of fed into and impacted the recording process? Uh, I think definitely being in the cities was an uh, interesting vibe that we could kind of tap into. Also, it was kind of like our collective energy. It was it, it was honestly similar to like when we would write songs for Neapolitan. Like I would go into a room and work on vocals. Ted would be in another room, like working on a guitar line. And then our homie Jared, who he plays in our live band, he like does his own music. He was working away on his. It was like a little a factory line going on in this Airbnb. Yeah. Musical factory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like whenever I'm in a situation where I'm like meeting a lot of new people and like getting to see like cool artistic spaces and seeing old friends and stuff, that typically like translates to me like wanting to make more music because I just feel more inspired too. So I think that played into it. Whenever you're having an adventure, it's easier to write, make some art, I feel like. How have you found the last few months then when we've all been stuck inside and any kind of sense of an adventure has kind of had a roadblock put in the way of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's an important time to try to keep things in perspective and 
yeah, it's just kind of like the reality that we're living through this year. For me, I've just tried to really uh, do the best to like cope with what we've got. And I'm, I'm lucky to have like a nice kind of outdoor space where I live. It is a bit harder to feel super inspired just because of the weight of the world feels pretty heavy right now. But at the same time, I'm glad to have all these songs. Yeah, excited to share and hopefully they can help some of our fans get through this time. How how do you think putting this record out next year? Obviously, it was probably written in a pretty different world. How do you think putting it out in the world in 2021 is, is going to be, is going to impact the way the record's, you know, interpreted? And has it kind of changed your the way you feel or think about any of the tracks? Well, I think, like, we've been working on this record for a little over a year and we keep writing songs and then removing them from the record because I feel like we really want this record to be like relevant for I mean the times but also just we we have a very specific like vision for it we're still kind of crafting it yeah yeah I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we've like written the record and we're going to be putting something out that was written in another time because I think we still have a lot to go to a degree. I feel like these songs are also very much like for these times, you know, like even before the the quarantine and stuff happened, I felt like it's kind of interesting that things have really gotten sort of dark because I feel like this is sort of this album sort of dealing with those themes already it reflects the kind of state of the world. Well, I mean, when taking that into account, how does that impact the energy level in the room when you're working on the music? Because, you know, again, if we think about something like the first record and it being that kind of light, you know, kind of slightly more carefree atmosphere about it, if you're working on a record that is slightly darker and is for these times, how does that affect the energy level in the room when you're crafting it? Well, I think we still have kind of good and bad mixed into the uh, the songs. Even in, like, a heavy world, you still have to be able to, like, have a range of emotions, like... You could still write a happy song in the context of like quarantine and maybe it's like about how you're able to cope with what's going on or some like joy you're able to find and it's mixed in with like the anxiety and sadness in other songs or something kind of telling a whole story like our other records have done yeah building a kind of complete picture from all the different sides of where you are in your life at this moment yeah and i think the palette is a little more like almost like goth and jangly but, you know, there's like Tears for Fear songs that are kind of have like an uplifting vibe too. you know, even though they're like write some spooky, like kind of sad music. <laughs> That's the best kind of music, though, when you know, when you get that juxtaposition, it's like people always speak about. Actually, I know you covered them last year, the Smiths. It's kind of really depressing music that makes you want to dance. Yeah, I think that's kind of like uh, we're we're pulling some influence from that kind of world with this record where it's both happy and sad a little bit. Was that partly what fed into doing that cover last year then? Of the Smiths, you know, that, that juxtaposition of, you know, depressed and, and happy. They've always kind of been a big influence for us guitar-wise. It was just kind of something we'd thought about doing for a while. And I think we were originally, like, just going to put it out on SoundCloud or something. Well, we originally we made it just as a live track. It was just kind of a fun idea. And oh, yeah. for our first, like, headline run in the U.S., we wanted to do, like, a cover, and we decided to, like, throw our spin on the Smiths. Yeah, we kind of liked it and ended up recording it and just dropping it as like a just a little snack for the fans <laughs> i did want to ask a wee bit about the second record as well soaked because when we look at the shift into that it is you know a slightly heavier produced sound you're you're experimenting with a slightly new palette Th- these lush tones and textures that you then kind of dunk the songs into what were the first conversations you shared about that record after the first one and where you kind of wanted to go with it did you have quite a conscious idea of where you wanted to take the sound and where you wanted to bring it next i mean i think that one we were kind of like I like to say in our dad rock phase where we were 
kind of over garage rock, but we still had some like heavy sounds to experiment with. We were also working with a producer who had like a pretty strong vision, which looking back, I feel like I probably would have wanted to like imagine that record with a slightly different sound, but that was kind of just how it ended up going, like working with the the producer we were with at the time. I mean, some songs it turned out really great, but yeah, it was it was interesting, like having so much time in the studio and access to all these tools. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of our learning experience as producers, because whereas with Neapolitan, we had the songs written and we recorded them all really fast. With Soaked, we had this opportunity where we got to spend like a couple months in the recording studio. We were like learning a lot about production too, which kind of led us to where we're at. Even though I feel like we had this grandiose vision and it we weren't that experienced as producers yet. So it kind of, it ended up as its own thing, you know, which is, I think that's true of Neapolitan too. We kind of got something that wasn't necessarily like exactly how we envisioned it or not that we had a like final vision. It was just kind of like a product of our learning, I guess. Was Moodrin the first thing that you felt did kind of hit that mark for you then? And did kind of hit your expectations of what you wanted it to be when you initially started out working on it? Yeah, I think so, because we had these songs that we just picked as like our favorite songs we'd written up until that point. And then we just put them all on the record. Um, So it kind of was exactly what we wanted it to be, which was cool, which kind of was the point where we realized like we could do this. That was kind of also the point where we were doing more stuff from our house, like just recording in our rooms and stuff where I feel like before we thought we needed to be in a studio to get like the highest quality recording. But it's more important to get a more heartfelt recording that isn't in a studio rather than something that you rush to do in a studio that's insanely hi-fi. You're probably more experienced as producers now as well. Cause, I mean, Moodrain does feel like your best you know, produced piece of work today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can pretty much, I feel like now more than ever, we can have an idea and we have the tools to accomplish it, whether it's like creating soundscapes or programming beats or like doing anything really, I feel pretty confident in our skills. Whereas before, kind of like what Ted was saying, we'd write a song that was based around being a four-piece band, so we wouldn't really push our limits any further. Do you have less restrictions on you now then? I mean, if you don't have the restriction of writing for it being, that that thing in your mind of it being for a four-piece band, if you're not having to be restricted by the studio and you're not restricted by working with a producer, have those things kind of been lifted? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we have no restrictions. I think it is good sometimes, though, to set boundaries because if you have no restrictions and endless options, it can almost be its own issue of just being like, I could literally do anything with this song, you know? Uh, me and Ted were actually kind of just talking about that the other day because one song I'm working on in particular like I thought the track was almost finished and then I reimagined the beat and then I thought that was super cool and then I rewrote the entire beat again and it's one of those things where it's like I could make this into it could be like a dance song it could be a psych track it could be kind of like an R&B song So I think there's a mixture of finding the right boundaries with limitless potential. (laughs) What sort of boundaries did you put down for Grudge then? What were the things you put in place to ensure that that song was kind of kept on track and 
working towards something well that song honestly was really inspired by just when i we got these new guitars and just having this new guitar was really inspiring so i think that was kind of one of the main things i wanted to do was like write a guitar based song it was it was honestly pretty natural how it came about like there's some synth and stuff added and some production elements but it's kind of like a futuristic rock song i didn't have to push the boundary setting too much because it kind of set it set its own boundaries <laughs> was that a similar process for the second record like what you're saying there about you got these new guitars and it kind of was born out of that was it the same for the second when you went to the studio and you had access to these new instruments did it kind of just flourish from there as a result of it and the boundaries kind of set themselves to a degree i think there were some boundaries set in that regard and then our producer was vocal about like certain sounds he wanted to go for and then we it was a learning process for sure because we definitely butted heads with him at the beginning because he wanted to go for like a really big rock sound and then there were times where we were kind of like I don't want to do this you know but we got to a place where we found a nice balance but yeah definitely boundaries coming from here and there. The slight tensions you were speaking about there as well with the producer at the beginning, at what point did they kind of resolve themselves and then how did that go on to affect the rest of the production process? He kind of like saw us through to a point where we could use all the equipment on our own and then he would just let us have free reign of the studio and then he would come in and, you know, check on it. So we kind of like started off more heavy handed and then pretty much was just like unlocking the studio and letting us play around in there which was pretty cool i think you can hear a lot of that that kind of idea of it just being born out of experimentation on stuff like uh is it gold use you've got the synth uh, not the sitar on yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. guitar guitar it was fun because he had that it was a guitar that's made to sound like a sitar and he also had a actual sitar in the studio so i mean that we we probably it's a good thing we didn't try to play that on the record because it's way harder. And also <laughs> tuning it, tuning it has these like wooden pegs that are like hammered into this stock. I don't even know how it like functions. It's so trippy. So full. That must have kind of scratched that Beatles itch as well. Yeah, totally. We we would have some fun little jams where we'd bust out the sitar and just <laughs> go into a trance. <laughs> what was the kind of furthest you thought you pushed it? in terms of the experimentation on that record, where did you feel most kind of exhilarated by where you were taking it? I feel like there's little bits and pieces throughout it. I really like the guitar solo on Shotgun. That was cool. Like Ted was turning the knobs on this delay pedal while Nathan was playing it and it did all this crazy modulation and stuff, which is super trippy. I think we were also kind of starting to learn more about synths, so we had access to a few different synths and we were learning to program them a bit. That was really fun. Yeah, it's hard to say because also that experience was a total blur to me. Our engineer was like the biggest stoner ever. So he'd be just rolling blunts the entire time. And I'd be like so stoned, I was like paranoid, but we'd just be getting really deep into these tracks. Um. <laughs> we kind of wrote Blue like in the studio which turned oh, out pretty yeah. well. That was one of my favorite experiences there, just because, yeah, it kind of came together in the studio. I imagine that has a really nice impact on the rest of the process as well. You know, that moment when you really feel something clicking and then it kind of sparks that excitement that you just kind of want to go on and, and work on everything else and kind of carry that into it. Yeah, I remember Ted also wrote the bridge on Lonely Times. Like, we had a different idea, 
and then Ted just like went into another room and wrote it super fast and then it was because it was because someone didn't like the bridge I wrote and I was really upset about it but then I <laughs> wrote one that was way better <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean stuff like that I mean there's all these cool little moments where we just ha- hit some gold were there any aspects of your personality that you think kind of seeped in as a result of that experimentation that hadn't been present in the music before? I mean, I, I have these very vivid memories of Ted just becoming like a master, like conductor in a way. Like we would start a song or, or the recording process and then Ted would just have unlimited ideas and then he'd proceed to just throw them down one after another, which was cool to see. Yeah, Ted was kind of acting as a producer in a big way on that record playing the maestro role (laughs) (laughs) is that tough having to switch between those two hats going from producer to songwriter kind of on a whim well honestly i think they're they're very similar and the more they can be seen as similar i feel like it's it's kind of makes songwriting easier because producing's in my mind's kind of like crafting the sound and like the the textures whereas like songwriting's more the melodic aspects and the more like technical musical stuff so i feel like when you kind of combine them it's like ted was saying you can do more minimal things but each thing's done more more tastefully does that idea of not categorizing yourself carry into other aspects of the band as well because i mean if you think about something like the music videos you think about the music video for grudge that feels like such a perfect extension of that song into a kind of stylized visual accompaniment i think that kind of reflects us being more actualized as artists and having this vision that we really feel we want to evoke with this new sound and record this is kind of like the first time we've had this vision that we're like writing into that expression kind of reflects our intention with this project as both the visual yeah it's something bigger than the songs you know it's like a whole package a whole vision yeah you get and that way it makes it a lot easier for you to kind of interweave everything because you kind of have it all there in front of you kind of mapped it in your mind of where this needs to go yeah and we've also been working uh with this design studio in portland named fisk and they do really great work and they introduced us to noah porter who directed that video who's also really talented. So we had a lot of help kind of exercising our vision. So did you have the idea and then you went to him and you worked on it together or did, who kind of came up with the storyline and the, the kind of visual idea? For well, we kind of just gave him a bunch of references like music videos and some Greg Araki films that we really liked. And we gave him like our own storyline as like a possible idea. And he kind of took all that and came up with his own vision the whole like sims parody thing and yeah i mean i feel like it was his idea but it captured everything that we sent him in a unique way which we were really stoked on there's a lot of kind of meaning behind that video especially paired with that kind of mantra of the chorus of grudge it's like she's kind of lost in this game she's playing the game of life and then has this realization moment toward the end where she like is present with her lover, you know? So it kind of ties nicely into like the song itself. And also the song kind of has that mechanical quality, like you're playing a video game version of life. Have you ever found that at any period in your life? Like that in in terms of what you were speaking about there of kind of just not really being present and being just getting caught up in things. And so how do you kind of gain perspective to remove yourself from that that kind of pattern? I think definitely it kind of comes in waves in life where I I feel 
more connected or less so and it kind of just depends what pulls me out or kind of serves as like a sort of realization moment but I feel like I try to kind of stay grounded and like life life always presents like new situations that you kind of move through I'm always growing people are always growing change is constant yeah for sure I don't know if you guys have heard the the fireworks going off throughout this the kind of the banging going on in the distance I, I can't hear it is it not coming through I thought um I'd wrap up though with a slightly firework related thing because you guys had an, an incident with some fireworks when you were on tour one time. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> you heard? What was the what was the story there? <laughs> well, that 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 was at the end of our mood ring tour, our big headline tour across the states, and uh, we just finished playing this really exciting show in San Diego at this church. It's like this pretty cool venue. It's just like in a cleared out church. We got the stained glass windows, kids were crowd surfing, going crazy. So then we had these fireworks that we bought in New Mexico, which are way bigger than the ones they sell in California. And uh, we decided to head to the beach to blow some off um, as a little celebration. So we brought like a couple friends and we're like drinking on the beach and stuff. And also there was a surprisingly large amount of people on the beach. Like we thought it would be empty because it was what, like 2 a.m. or something. It was like, it wasn't that late, but it was, I mean, maybe it was. Or it was somewhere between like midnight and 2 a.m. But there's like families and kids and stuff running around. Because apparently there was some like fish mating, like where they roll up on the beach and they're all flopping around. And like, <laughs> I don't know. Some fish ceremony was up. So we, we start shooting off a couple Roman candles and I couldn't believe how big they were. Like it, it looked straight up like 4th of July style, <laughs> big ass fireworks. These are some New Mexico fireworks. And then I think I walk over to like have a drink with Ted or something and our homie Jared. I, I, was, I was filming it. <laughs> yeah, Ted Jared, was Jared's shooting off this Roman candle and then uh, it, one of them gets caught in his sleeve and his sleeve catches on fire. So he drops it. And then it starts firing down the beach, like into a crowded group of like children. That like image is like burned into all of our minds. We were like, it was exactly what your mom tells you going off in my mind. Like, don't play with fireworks. You're going to blow your fingers off or hurt someone. And I just see these like silhouettes of screaming children with <laughs> fireworks going off oh behind them. God. It was so bad. We went. We we walked over there and like made sure everyone was okay. Was everyone all right? Yeah, everyone was fine. We got screamed at by a few angry parents, but then the mom of the kids was actually like strangely chill about it, and she ended up like talking to us for a while. Yeah, this lady was like surprisingly chill about it, and then she's like, "What's going on, guys? Get things are getting a little out of hand," and we were just like oh we're super sorry we just did our first like headline tour across the u.s and we were trying to celebrate but we obviously fucked up and she was like well the kids are fine don't worry about it oh you guys are in a band like my daughter's a model here's her instagram and like showing us her instagram and shit and then like follows us on instagram and was like all right well have a good night guys so we felt like we definitely uh, lucked out. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were lucky they didn't just, like, get us arrested. We went back to the hotel that night, and we're all just, like, so bummed and, like, 
in shock <laughs> at what happened. <laughs> Despite everything going horribly wrong, it like turned out the best it could have for that. <laughs> That was like Mother Nature's way of saying don't play with fireworks. We always have some kind of calamity going on when we do band trips. Usually we're not that idiotic. But that, that time we were definitely asking for it. Yeah, that time we were being fucking idiots. <laughs> you heard it here, kids, don't light fireworks on crowded beaches. <laughs> yeah. What sort of other calamities have you had? Have you seen there's a calamity every, every time you kind of head on a tour? <laughs> <laughs> a lot is weather related, I feel like. Yeah. Like we've driven through uh blizzards and we've driven through snowstorms with in like a van that has the AC constantly stuck on. So everyone's in a sleeping bag just freezing their balls off and I remember when we got to Chicago on that tour I couldn't feel my feet until after the set at like 11 p.m. or something the whole day. <laughs> What else, Ted? <laughs> we almost got, uh, well, we almost got stuck in London during the beginning of quarantine because our flight back was like the day before the travel ban went into effect. Also, when we uh, drove to drove to Portland to film the Grudge music video a few weeks ago, it happened to be when like the whole West Coast was on fire. The interstate highway had been shut down like the day before we had planned to drive up. So we were driving through like thick smoke all the way up the coast we bought these like smoke masks and it just so happened that like the weekend we had planned to be in portland was like the same weekend where the air quality was like record-breakingly bad they like broke the api scale just bad luck yeah but luckily they're like they're not really calamities they're just like flirting with calamities because nothing yeah. goes that bad it's, it's like things go things go all right but it just seems like the world is ending <laughs> I think we might just have good karma or something because if we had bad karma, we would probably either be dead or in jail. <laughs> it's kind of a hilarious, I would describe it as hilarious karma. Yeah, we got silly karma. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.